Good morning. It's an absolute pleasure and joy to, to be with you and to see what God's doing in the midst of Castro Valley and uh, to, to experience the presence of Christ in the midst of his people here at Indelible Grace. And Michael, too, to be part of this um, special milestone in your life and in your ministry and to have seen uh, God working in, in mysterious ways at times to lead you to this point. And it's, so it's a real joy. Uh, to be here. I'm told that I've, I've been given an hour to preach. Is that right, Michael? Okay, so, um, well, let me, uh, let me pray for us as we, as we hear God's Word read. <clears throat> Lord, please come now and open our hearts and our minds by the power of Your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and as Your Word is proclaimed, we might hear with joy what you have to say to us today. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have three lessons, and I'm going to be preaching from uh, the middle lesson, the New Testament lesson, but here now, the Old Testament lesson, which comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 19. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, And tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is Mine, and you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And here now, uh, these words from uh, the Apostle Paul, his letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Uh, in our church, we, we welcome the presence of Christ uh, when we read the Gospels by standing. So let's stand together as we, hear, <clears throat> as we hear these words from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. <clears throat> then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them and and said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave." even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's a wonderful privilege, as I said, to be a part of uh, Michael's ordination because what we're doing today here is utterly... Countercultural. Michael is going to make a vow to formally, officially, publicly become your slave. <laughs> Who does that? Uh, no one does that. So um, you're crazy uh, to be doing this. In, in my ordination, I was told the way that you spell minister from here on out is D O O R M A T. So welcome to your new life, Michael. Uh, but I want to. I want to sort of put. Michael's uh, submission to serve the church in its proper context uh, by talking about what is the church and what is your part in the church. Uh, I was thinking about Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, one body, many parts, uh, about a week and a half ago when I was down in, in Santa Cruz. We take a, a retreat uh, every year in November as the pastors to kind of get away, rest, pray, uh, think about our marriages, our life. And so one of those days, we went over to the beach, and it was a reef four day, which means that the waves were, were breaking all the way out on the fourth reef at about 15 to 20 feet high. And it was an absolutely impressive sight to watch these surfers swimming out and jumping into the waves, and uh, they were crazy as far as I'm concerned. I know nothing about this, but it was, it was incredible to watch. And um, it, it took me back to my first trip to California in the fifth grade. I grew up on the East Coast, uh, body surfing in the Atlantic Ocean. 
And uh, in fifth grade, we came, and, you know, I thought, this, this can't be that different. I'm going to body surf out here in the Pacific. And, man, I was not ready for this. And I, uh, one of the ways I, I took in, I actually ended up breaking my toe. I got slammed so hard into the sand. And the rest of that trip, I just sort of hobbled around. And I never appreciated up to that point uh, that little toe on my right foot. Uh, and how much pain this one tiny part of the body could inflict on the whole. And I was just hobbling around all over California. Well, the, you know, uh, one of the days we were in Santa Cruz, I was also, I, lo- I like to run. And so I was running through one of the great redwood forests there and uh, came upon one of the m- most incredible trees I've ever, the largest tree I've ever seen in my life. And uh, it, was, it was an amazing scene. And so I'm running through, and I'm very inspired. And I'm thinking back to, you know, when I used to be in shape and uh, when I used to, to go race. You know, I'd go to these races. And you would never hear people cheering for the runner saying, that, that guy's calves are so amazing. You know, that, that guy has incredible hamstrings. No, they would always say, go, runners. You know, you're doing amazing. Implicitly understanding that the reason this runner was able to accomplish such a feat is that all the different parts were working together as they were designed to work. And uh, that's exactly what Paul's after in this passage. He's saying, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Uh, And so here we are, for whatever reason, gathered here on a Sunday morning in a church, and we say uh, in, in our most basic creeds uh, that we believe in the church. Well, what does that mean <laughs> exactly? What is the church? Well, I want to just um, say with you this morning in the next few minutes that the church is the body of the Messiah, the body of Christ. The church is the body of the Messiah. The many limbs and organs of which were designed by God to serve one another. The church is the body of the Messiah, the many limbs and organs of which were designed by God to serve one another. Uh, Paul says, you are the body of Christ. And he says in verse 13 that, uh, for we were all baptized... Uh, by one spirit into that body. So, by virtue of, of having been baptized and having received the spirit of the living God, you have, uh, you have a new identity. You no longer belong to yourself. You no lo- longer belong to your family, uh, your race, your class, your gender, your nation. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. You're all one in Christ, you're part of this body now that's so much bigger than, than you and so much bigger than me. He says, you're part of that body. You're one of the parts in that body. Well, what does that mean? I, for me, I, I've heard this phrase, the body of Christ, my whole life, and so it's easy to just sort of gloss over it. Maybe this is new for some of you, the body of the Messiah. Um, I think the first hearers of this letter uh, would just intuitively know what Paul's talking about. Maybe maybe we don't intuitively know, so let's think about it for a second. 
you can think about the body of the Messiah in two, two different ways. It's the body of the Messiah, and it's the body of the Messiah, right? So let's think about, let's come at it from those two different directions. It's the body of the Messiah. And when Paul says that, I think he's going back to the first body, all the way back through history and all the way through the pages of Scripture to this incredible story where God takes a lump of earth and forms it like a potter forming a piece of clay and breathes life into it and sets Adam uh, up to, to rule over his creation, to be a steward and to cultivate all the possibilities of this incredible creation. And so when Paul says uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, he's saying Jesus is the true Adam who's come to right all the wrongs of all of us Adams and Eves. And so to be a part of his body means that you, the church, are the new humanity. Look to your right and look to your left. And I know it doesn't seem that way, but uh, you see a new Adam and a new Eve that are learning together in God's church, what it means to worship God as we were created, uh, to reflect God's glory and His image in the world, to learn how to exercise our various vocations and responsibilities to show forth God's glory. And I think Paul means it in a second sense as well. You, church, are the body of the Messiah. He's talking about the body politic uh, in in his world, in Paul's world, uh, people like Plato and Plutarch uh, use this is a popular metaphor to talk about civic life and social life, po- political life. And so they'd say something like this: that you, uh, the citizens, you all have a part to play in this empire, uh, this Roman Empire, that the head and lord of which is Caesar who, of course, is going to bring this Pax Romana, all the peace and justice that we all long for and, and hope for. And Paul's saying, this Jesus, the Messiah, He is the true Lord. And by being part of His body, you're part of the new empire. You're citizens of a different kingdom, resident aliens of a, of a different order altogether. Uh, and I just wonder as we gather here this morning, is this our vision of the church that you are the new humanity? You're a new empire. You're God's new world order. It's an amazing vision of the church. Well, it's the church is the, the body of the Messiah, and it's also the body of the Messiah. And when Paul's talking about the Messiah, I think, again, he's going back uh, through history and through the Scriptures, and thinking about God's uh, incredible promises to save and to bless the world. Uh, his promises to Abraham to give him land and a people. His promises to Moses and to Israel to liberate them out of their bondage and out of their slavery and to make them the free people of God. Uh, the promises given to David to set him up uh, to rule over God's people, to, to establish His temple, uh, His presence, His glory, His Spirit, right in the midst, in the heart of His people, 
so that through all these things, there would be an anchor point and a beachhead through which God would exercise his rule over all the nations. And so when Paul says, uh, this Jesus is the Messiah, he's saying he's the true David, the, the sum and climax and fulfillment of all of God's promises. And you, church, by being part of his body, are the new Israel, the chosen people of God, called out of the world to showcase his salvation and his glory, to be a light for the nations. Whoa, what an incredible privilege to be the church. What an amazing responsibility to be the body of the Messiah. And I think so often this doesn't square, and in fact it kind of comes at loggerheads with uh, the typical American vision and experience of, of the church. Uh, we tend to uh, appropriate our values and our, our vision of the church through various attitudes. And we say, we might uh, say things like this, that the church, the church primarily exists to meet my needs, my spiritual needs, my relational needs, my emotional needs now in the way that I want. Uh, or we'll say something or think to ourselves, uh, the Messiah and His body has authority in my life uh, so long as I have the final say, you know, to, to the extent to which I give it authority. Or we'll think to ourselves, um, Yes, I'll give myself to the Messiah and to His body so long as it's comfortable uh, or it's convenient or it doesn't require too much of me, too much of my time, too much of my money, too much of my, my energy. And I think all those sort of attitudes, all those visions of the church have much more to do with our modern doctrines of individualism, consumerism, autonomy, and limitless freedom than they have to do with the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, than they have to do with this vision that Paul's giving us to be the body of the Messiah. So consider, um, if the church uh, often becomes an afterthought, or it's something that you paste on to a typical way of doing life uh, that's sort of status quo. Or it's the thing that gets pushed out when life gets crazy and feels really busy. Paul is saying, look, if this is true, if Jesus is the true Adam, you're the new humanity. If Jesus is the true Lord, you are the new empire. And if Jesus is the true David, then you are the new Israel, the chosen people of God. Therefore, the Messiah and his body ought to become the total organizing principle of your life. The church, says Paul, is the body of the Messiah. And then he, he wants to go on and he wants to say more. He says, the many limbs and organs, the, you know, the arms, the feet, the, the brain, the heart, the lungs, the many limbs and organs of which have been designed 
by God and placed by God in such a way so that you all might serve one another. Now, this is... How many of you have heard a sermon on 1 Corinthians 12 or a Bible study or a class? Anybody? A few of us? We've heard about this before. Okay. So this isn't maybe totally new. If you've heard... Uh, someone teach on this. This is you probably heard one of two things. You probably heard <clears throat> that Christian service is not uh, something engaged in only by those who are in full time paid church employment. Uh, people that are ordained, like will be ordained, like like Michael. Uh, and to that, I say Amen and Hallelujah. Every one of you has a service to Christ in the world. Uh, that's so true. And then you may have heard that all Christians have gifts, that you've all been given gifts to contribute to the overall life of the church. And so your role is to discern what is the gift God's given me and how am I going to contribute that to the life of this church. And again, so good and right and true. But I think Paul is aiming at something uh, even more challenging, if if you can imagine that. Uh, even more uh, profound. So, think about this. He says in verse 15, Now, now that we've established that you're, you're the body of the Messiah, you're the church, let's, let's get down to business. Let's talk, let's talk shop a little bit. Let's talk about uh, your issues. Let's talk about who you are as a people. And so, he says this, Now, if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand... I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. Uh, there's some major problems going on. We, we often glorify the early church as if it were uh, this golden era where, where there was, were no problems or anything like that, and that's kind of what we should aim for. Well, very early on, uh, there were problems, and you can imagine how dysfunctional your body would feel if you woke up in the morning and your foot was saying to your hand, I don't belong to you. And if your ear was saying to your eye, I don't belong to you. I mean, can you imagine trying to, to function, you know, just to get up and, and make breakfast uh, would be a challenge. And so what's happening uh, in the church in Corinth what happens in my church, at Christ Church, what happens or will happen here at Indelible Grace, is that sometimes we begin to feel insecure in our place in the body of the Messiah. We feel like inferior nobodies, and we say to ourselves, or we say out loud, I don't belong. And that's a problem, says Paul. And yet, there's uh, sort of a flip side of that coin. Look in verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And so again, uh, major bodily dysfunction going on here as the eye is rejecting the hand. <laughs> and as the ear uh, or the, uh, the head is rejecting the feet. And... 
So there are these inferior nobodies saying, I don't belong, but there are these superior, overconfident somebodies looking at everybody else saying, I don't need you. (laughs) You see the problem going on in the life of the church. And it's not a... It's not a limited problem. It's not a new problem. It's a very old problem, and it's a very universal problem. Uh, we saw it's, it's, it's human nature. Um, and we saw it happening even in the very presence of our Lord Jesus. These two disciples send an emissary, their mom. They're sort of hiding behind uh, her skirt. And, uh, but they're, they're walking they're right behind her. And they say, Lord... We want to be the greatest in your kingdom. We want to be the greatest. And then what happens? The the other ten disciples come along and they're furious. Why are they so angry and indignant? Because they didn't think to ask first. (laughs) They think they're superior somebodies and that these guys are nobodies. That's human nature. That's what happens when we're left to ourselves. Well, Paul is addressing this very real challenge in the life of the church. And he goes back and he says in verse 13 again, For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. By virtue of your having been washed in the waters in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by virtue of the coming of the Holy Spirit into your life, you all are on one footing, equal footing in Christ. And you have been united as part of the one body of Christ. And so Paul says to those who feel like inferior nobodies who say, I don't belong, he says in verse 18, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So who do you think you are? to say I don't belong, to call God's creative wisdom and His good judgment that's put the church together, who are you to call that into question? And he says to the superior somebodies in verse 24, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And so who are you to say I don't need you? Because often we look around the church and we say, well, this person's significant, but this person's kind of doesn't seem very significant to me. And the reality is, I never wake up thinking about my pancreas. You know, I just don't give a lot of thought during my day to my liver or my brain. Sometimes my lungs, because I have asthma. Uh, But I'm I'm told uh, by medical experts that these are vital organs. <laughs> they're, they're significant. Uh, you see what Paul's getting at. He's saying, look, do not uh, continue on in this I don't belong, I don't need you business. Because he says in verse 25, there to be absolutely no divisions in the body of Christ. And when you go along that way, what you're doing is hacking off the very limbs of the Messiah. You're gouging out the very organs of the Messiah. And it should not be so. Rather, he says, 
you all should have equal concern for the other to such a degree that when one of you is hurting, all of you are weeping. And to such a degree that when one of you is uh, rejoicing, all of you are dancing. What a vision. I mean, he'll go on to, to talk in, in this most famous chapter, chapter 13. He, he'll say, you know, that's love. Uh, what a vision for what indelible grace is and could become. Well, the question, the big question is how. Uh, how is that possible? Because uh, you know Michael. You know that he is far from perfect, right? And he's your pastor. So, and he tells me that you guys are even further from perfect. So, <laughs> so how, is this, how is this possible? No, he says only good things about you. How could this be? Well, think back to the gospel. Do you want to be great? Do you want to be first? Jesus says, become a servant. Become a slave. One historian says that a slave is a non-person who has no rights or existence of his own, who exists solely for others. Plato said, how can anyone be happy when he's the slave of anyone else at all? And of course, Homer, before Plato, held up Achilles as the great hero, the one who only thinks of his own self and his own honor. And Jesus says, no, there's a new kind of greatness. There's a new kind of firstness, and I'll show you the way. The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Translation, somebody, the somebody, became nobody so that you, nobodies, could become somebodies, could become new humans, new citizens of a new empire, new <laughs> the new people of God, showing forth His glory in the world. What an amazing good news. And so the challenge is, think about the person in the church who makes you feel like an inferior nobody and who makes you want to say to yourself, I don't belong and become their servant. And find the person in the church who makes you feel like a superior somebody, who makes you think to yourself, I don't need them, and become their slave. This is what our Lord Jesus did. He who being very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to His own advantage. He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he gave himself over to the cross to ransom each and every one of you back to himself out of darkness and the tyranny of evil into this kingdom 
of light. And He wants to continue to turn the world upside down and inside out by your serving and giving yourselves to one another. Let's go to Him in prayer. <clears throat> oh Jesus, true Adam, true Lord, true David, we praise and bless You for serving us and for giving Yourself for us, especially as You gave Yourself to the cross. May we live in the fullness of what You have made it possible for us to become by serving and giving ourselves to one another, especially empower Michael as he seeks to model and set the example for what it means to serve and to give. Make the nobodies here into somebodies. And make the somebodies into nobodies. And have mercy on us all, O Lord, that we may be Your church, the body of the Messiah, reflecting Your glory and love into the world for the sake of the nations. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.